Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you all know him as the head coach of the University of Texas men's tennis team. I know him as a man who was once a Wolverine, always a Wolverine. Of course, it is head coach Bruce Burke. Coach, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you. Happy New Year. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Happy New Year to you, and thanks for having me on. And uh, not to beat a dead horse, but I'll echo what all the other coaches have told you. You do a great job for college tennis and are making a big difference in our sport. So we all thank you for that. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that. The next, co- I hope a coach who hears this comes out and goes, Alex, you could really step up your game. Like that's, <laughs> I want to hear the zag from some coaches. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the truth is it's always Ty Tucker. So I know when it's right. coming and I've got that pod later this week. So I'll be ready. But, uh, you know, well, when we- did you start a uh, question for you? When did you start? I guess I must've just missed you at Michigan, huh? Yeah. When so you- I was 13, 14 was my first year. Okay. Yeah. So I was there. That was my last year. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the Patron yeah. Bernstein, I've mentioned this. Right. I don't I mean, whatever. Barrett Franks was a senior yeah. in SIGAP when I was a freshman in SIGAP. Okay. And I okay. went to his house and the way I impressed him is I started going off on the tennis and he goes, who are you? And I was like, <laughs> well, actually I'll be a podcaster on college tennis in five years. Just trust me. Right. Yeah. Right. And so no, those teams, I mean, the Patron Michael Zoo teams have a near and dear place to my heart because I remember you, I think you guys took that my freshman year, the doubles point from Ohio State at home. 
And I remember the atmosphere. Yeah. It, it was oh, the yeah. best atmosphere I have ever been in. And right. I remember Ty laced into his guys. And I was just – that was one of those moments for me growing up where it was like, you know, sorry to talk about me. But that's when I knew. I was like college tennis, the passion, the environment, set, you know, 30 yelling fans in a college tennis match make more of an impact than 100,000 right. in the big house. And yeah. so – I'm curious this how we can get into it. Is that the is that what gravitates you to college tennis? Obviously, it's a career for you in this sport. Is that what separates it from all other aspects of the game? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things, but there's there's a lot of things I like about it and um but that's one of one of the things. It's it's a passionate environment. The competitive piece of it is is fun. And uh as a lot of the other coaches have mentioned, you you get to be part of what turns out to be four of the most enjoyable years of a bunch of people's lives and you get to relive that with them over and over again and be part of that and help them help guide them and shape them and, and um, help them. And that's a part of it. But I do like, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times that there are a lot of things that go into college tennis and it's seasonal. So at different times of the year, there's a different focus. And I do like, you know, some of the other challenges beyond just the tennis, you know, it's a little bit of a, you know, you're a CEO of a very small business and I like having my hands in marketing and, having my hands in, um, you know, promotions and, and not so much fundraising anymore where I am, but, um, you know, there's a recruiting, which is sales mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and it changes every, you know, every, every year you get a new group and every three or four months, there's a different focus to what you're doing. So there's a lot of things I like about it. And, but the passion and the excitement and the energy of the competitive environment in college tennis is definitely one of them. Yeah, no, see, this is why we get along so well, because I want to get into all of those aspects of the sport. And, you know, my hope is that by the end of this, every fan base assumes I'm biased towards them so that I just can't get accused of bias anymore. I'm just biased right. towards good college tennis. And if you enjoy good college tennis, Texas was the team to watch last year. You go 24-6 and six overall, but perhaps most impressively, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe 10-1 in 4-3 matches. 10-1 in 4-3 matches, Coach. I is that luck? Is that skill? Does that harm you, or does that you do and take more enjoyment out of that? I just like I. It's got to be. It's a heart attack season in the best yeah. sort of way. Yeah. No. It's. I don't know. Part of it's luck and good fortune, but I think you know, winning breeds winning and, and confidence, and and that that happened. You know, we got a few of the early ones, and that helped us. But I'd like to think part of it is the way the guys have trained themselves to handle those moments, and so. Yeah, maybe that was part of it, and everything seemed to go our way last year, just about everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it was 10-1, and one, or I actually was thinking it was 11-1, and one, but it was something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we lost um, – we, the one we lost was to TCU in the regular season dual match, 7-6 in the third set um, with LH Bazir at number one singles, and that was a great match against uh, Famba, I think. So, yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and a lot of those came in pretty big moments, and and including two of them in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 in the quarterfinals. So that was a lot of fun. And, and you know, it was interesting, really, because at the end of the last fall, we got the team together and, and we were we were far from a tough team, you know, and the guys kind of called themselves out on it. And, I mean, that was – we were not showing the signs, any signs of being a team that was going to be clutch and um, – handle big moments and and not fold under pressure. And, you know, to, in my mind, you know, we went from a fairly weak team in those kind of circumstances to a really strong team. And so I'm hoping that carries over into this year, but you never know. 
Yeah, and you talk about that fall. Again, it was a fall where potentially Ito, Siskar, they could have come back. They elect not to. And of course, you know, those were two guys, very much the connective thread between this team and the 2019 National Championship right. winning team. And look, you still had Chi-Chi, of course, on the roster as well. And he's another guy who got to play in that National Championship match. Right. But essentially, it was a new roster. And yeah. so it's so interesting to hear you talk about the fall Again, ten and one and four three. It just and it felt like it was someone new every time. Whether it was yeah. Elliot, Siam, Micah, Cleve, just everyone contributing. Yeah. Is there a point when you feel this? You know, when does the belief set in for the team? And as you go through that season, what growth did you see? Uh, we I saw a ton of growth from the fall to the beginning of the dual match season. Obviously, the first four three match we had was against Florida. Which I would point out quickly, second year in a row. So, you know, sometimes you say, well, it's a fluke. The thing bounces our way. Twice in a row, you guys match up Florida. First serious match of the year. You beat them twice in a row. What does that say about how you have your guys ready? Uh, I think it says a little more about how they have themselves ready. Because as as you've mentioned before, you know, during these four weeks or five weeks or six weeks leading up into the beginning of the dual match season, they're largely on their own. Um, So... Uh, it's up to them for the most part, you know, we can, you know, we have a couple of weeks of practice, but that's not going to cut the mustard if that's all we have, you know? So luckily we have a group that really likes to be on the court and is really motivated. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons I like to schedule a tough match earlier, a few exciting things early because they know, you know, they better get ready and it's something motivational. So we don't start with a bunch of cupcakes. You know, we, we, we've been, we've been starting with a good hidden dual um, tournament each year and we're doing that again right now. We're in Miami right now, getting ready to face off against Miami, Georgia, and UCF in a hidden duel. And then we go home next week, and we're playing UTSA in Florida mm-hmm. at home. So um, we're supposed to play Florida in a regular season duel match at home last year, and they canceled that because of COVID. And then the and then the <laughs> kicked us in the kickoff. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh no, don't do that to us. You know, they're, they're and so they came and played us in the kickoff, and I was like, you know. Thought that was gonna, that was a tough match for us, but in the end, you know, it turned out to be a really positive thing for us and for them, you know, because they probably weren't too happy with the way that result went, and I'm sure they used that as motivation throughout the year, and, and turned out really good for them. One thousand percent. I said this on the podcast in our women's preview. I think if North Carolina loses to Texas in the national indoors, it's a completely different national championship. Yeah, not only from right. a seeding perspective, but those losses matter. And right. I mean, when I look at your team, and I was there for the national indoor weekend, and it was the most deceiving one and two weekend I've yeah. ever seen. Like coming out of it, yeah. and we talked right after that moment. It just felt like you guys were one of the winners. Just how well you competed all weekend long and you know one guy in particular who stood out to me all season is Elliot and just the growth for him not only as the number one singles player as a leader on the court as well you look at his NCAA tournament run beats NCAA finalist Daniel Rodriguez three sets round of 16 you know his win of that second set against USC against Kukerman just to force Kuki to stay out there a little longer no quick leads for USC you could tell what that meant to the team and then you know, he's playing Duarte even in the final as in the right. semifinal, excuse me, as well. How helpful is it to, ha- you know, again, it's not every time a sophomore can do that or a second year freshman. Right. Talk to me about what clicked for him last season. Yeah, well, he, you know, he came in in January of 2020. So he was really only there for about two months. I was at the was... Michigan, Texas match in Wisconsin. Yeah. Like it was a yeah. different Elliot last year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, well, he ended up having a really good year, but that, you know, that was early for him. He, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. You're right. And then in the beginning of the year, he was doing okay. Obviously the Florida win was awesome for him to beat Riffis in the, in the third set in that match. And then, then, but the, after that, he kind of was, you know, he was getting a lot of wins, but we were pushing him and not really satisfied with the way he was playing or the, the level of aggression that he was bringing to the court. And in a, in a couple of occasions we butted heads and, and, uh, and you know sometimes, like you said, sometimes a loss or a win that goes the wrong way or a conflict with the coach, and you know things come to a head a little bit. And and sure enough, by the last couple of months of the season, he, you're right, he was a different player, and he carried that through the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a really good summer and won a futures. He did well at the U.S. Open in the qualifying, and unfortunately, he's been banged up most of this fall but uh but yeah he he definitely jumped had a, at least a level jump um from the beginning of the dual match season to the end yeah and you know again i want to talk about some of these individual performances i think we have to talk about micah next because you've obviously yeah. seen plenty of talented freshmen whether it's as an assistant at illinois or obviously evan king as talented as anyone when he walked in the door at michigan but right. you look at what micah was able to do last year 20 and 5 in dual matches 12 and 4 at the two singles position freshmen aren't supposed to do that coach how is he able to yeah, he's a good example of that because of what we were talking about earlier. Like he made a big jump. I mean, I had a coach come up to me in the a Big Twelve coach come up to me at some point during the Big Twelve tournament and say he's he's probably the toughest guy in the conference, and that was kind of an eye opener for me too because he was someone that we had to push a lot in that department. He works as hard as anybody, um, but he gets kind of like a lot of young players do he gets down on himself and he can kind of get a little negative and mopey at times in practice and we were it was in a conversation every day about that but you know in the dual matches i think he's such a high character um person from a great family with a big passion for tennis and i think he loves his team and he cares about his teammates so that dual match environment brought out the best competitor in him and i think it was really really good for him but yeah he he had a lot of good wins. He clinched a couple more than one, you know, four, one, one of those four, three matches. And, you know, that's the mental aspect of it. Physically, he's pretty gifted. He was really well taught and coached by his dad and all the other coaches he had growing up. But, I mean, the guy's strong. He's a good athlete. He hits the ball great on both sides. Um, so he's got a lot of things going for him. And I, I'm looking forward to another jump from him hopefully this year. No, absolutely. And again, it wasn't just at the top and CM as well, who it felt like was never maybe fully healthy throughout the course of the season, but still was able to just fight out his spot. And then obviously what Cleve was able to do come the end of the year, so, so successful. The turnaround from Chi-Chi, who was terrible at the National Indoors. We can say it now, but obviously it was a completely different player come the NCAA tournament. Again, throughout the course of the year, when you look at that and you try to build off of it this season, what are you hoping the guys take away from all the success? Well, I'm hoping that they can build on that and just keep it going and just continue to work on their skills and get better. You know, every team is a little different. We've got a few new players, but it's, you know, this year, but it's a lot of their more returning customers than we had the previous year. Like you mentioned earlier, the team that won it in 2019, um, last year's team that reached the final four and finished three in the country, there was not one person in that lineup that played a singles match at the NCAA tournament. Chi Chi played doubles and that was it. So you'd think 
uh, all these guys coming back with that experience, it would you know translate and we keep growing, but nothing's a given. And, I, and to be honest, I was a little disappointed again this fall because we didn't seem to do that. We didn't seem to capitalize and build on all the things that we learned last year competitively. The tennis looked okay, but I thought we showed some signs of weakness again, mentally. Um, and that was a little disappointing, but I, we're about to start the dual match season. Nothing's a given, and I'm hoping we can build on that and just continue to try to get to become better tennis players. Another one that I would call out in a positive way from last year is Evan McDonald. Yeah. Because his overall record probably wouldn't be, you know, outstanding, but he played, I think he played every dual match. Um, that was his first lineup experience was last year, and, and he had his struggles, but the guy clinched a ton of big matches. He clinched against Oklahoma um, at Oklahoma when we didn't have CM World Eve. He had an unbelievable finish to the Texas A&M match, which which clinched the match, even though it wasn't a 4-3. It turned out to be 5-2, but it was very, it could have been. He clinched that one. He clinched the Oklahoma State match, getting revenge from a previous loss in the, in the, uh, in the big 12 tournament. And I'm pretty sure there was another one in there somewhere that he clinched like uh, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. I think there was one more that I'm forgetting. So, I mean, he did some really good things that improved a lot too. Oh, and of course I forgot the South Carolina match. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was you know, in the round of 16, he clinched that one. Mm-hmm. You know, he was and that, and the way he did that one was pretty cool. He was up five, one, I believe in the final set. And, and he, lo- and, you know, he's, ba- he's basically a freshman. You know, he didn't play at all the previous year and he loses that lead and it's now it's five all and, you know, nine times out of 10, the guy who loses the five one lead is trying to clinch a big match like that. It's going to go the other way. And he he finished that one, too. So he did a lot of great things for us also. Mm -hmm. And so with all of that said. You look at this team, and we'll talk about some of the newcomers individually. Obviously, you bring back all six single starters from last season. You bring in Richard. You bring in Pierre as well. But there is a line of thought, I think it's fair to say, and we'll talk about it on the podcast, so I want to ask you about this. Everything did break right for the Longhorns last season. Again, 10-1 and is just as easily 1-10 if 14 points go differently. And so I'm curious, and it might be a very simple question, but – is there any fear of regression to the mean? Like, how does a team go about sustaining that success? 10 and 1 in 4 3 matches coming through in the clutch. How do you guys, you know, communicate that message to your players this fall? Well, um, we haven't really talked about We're Actually, we're going to meet as a first time for the dual match season tonight. Um, so we haven't really talked about those kind of things. We've been stressing mostly the way we compete and the way we train and trying to get better this fall. But as far as this year, yeah, there could be. Hopefully, we don't. Hopefully we don't win as many 4-3 matches because hopefully we don't have as many 4-3 matches. But, yeah. yeah, our record may not be as good in the 4-3 matches this year. Who knows? It's it's likely not to be. You know, again, hopefully we don't have as many. Um, we could very well be a better team and and not finish as high in the rankings. Who knows? There's so many questions. There's so many good teams. We're, I think we're one of them, but, you know, we're just one of them. And so everything we get this year is going to have to be earned. And I think, you know, all the best teams – and all the best players tend to really love the journey and focus on the process. I know it's cliche to say that, but it's cliche because it's true. You know, so I think if we can put the work in every day and be the same worker, every, workers every day and the same competitors every day, then in the end, hopefully the ball bounces is a little more likely to bounce our way in yeah. those big moments. But yeah, for sure. We'll call on some of those experiences and talk about how we're supposed to approach those moments. If we, if we, get those moments and that we're faced with. But I think the big thing is just trying to get better and, and continue to grow. 
Mm-hmm. No, and again, we're all looking forward to seeing your team compete this year because you talk about the strength at the top of college tennis. There are super teams everywhere. Yeah, we, we've we talked sure. about it on our episodes. Eight, eight teams right away under normal circumstances. You'd feel pretty comfortable as the number one team in the country. And it's like, right. no, sorry, they're eight. Um, and right. it's, it's going to be a match of thin margins. And obviously, again, all six singles returner back. I believe Nevin's back as well. And then you bring in a Richard who comes in having been top five in the country during his career at Notre Dame and has played in just about every big match scene you would want from a senior coming in. You bring in a guy in Pierre who I believe also won a Futures title here this fall. And, you know, again, anytime you can get an injection of that sort of talent into the lineup, you take it. That said, you know, no Elliot, no Pierre still. 32 and 29 in singles, 13 and 16 in doubles were the overall records here this fall. I am sure that is not the number you were looking for. Uh, talk to me about the fall, what you've seen from the guys. It's certainly on paper, very talented team. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's not the number. The numbers aren't great, I guess, in terms of the results, but I was, honestly, I wasn't even aware of that. It doesn't shock me. I think what was a little more disappointing for us is not the, the results and the numbers, but just more um, the fact that we found ourselves having to reteach or or have repeat the same conversations that we had to repeat that we had to have last year, and it, we were Brandon and I were pretty surprised that um, you know I don't think there was any our guys continued to work hard, but um, they didn't really show um, the steady growth as competitors and and, and with their maturity every day with practice and the way they competed in every match. And, and in, in, in our defense a little bit, there, there were a lot of health issues. Sure. Um, you know, there were some guys that were banged up or sick, um, not COVID, but it just, it, it didn't, not, not, not a whole lot was going our way, but yeah, honestly, we're, we were a little disappointed with the way we competed this mm-hmm. fall at overall. There's some great moments, but overall it was a little disappointing. So Maybe, you know, it's, it's, I remember David Fish told me this story one time about there's a, there's a story that goes, uh, good news, bad news, who knows? Yeah. And sometimes the thing you're most upset about um, turns out to be the thing that can help you the most. For instance, what you talked about with the Texas women losing to North Carolina. For instance, Florida being probably a little pissed off that they lost to Texas last year. You know, I remember, um, I remember being super disappointed when I was at Michigan when uh, Milos uh, Milos sure. chose Virginia, well, yeah. you know, I was that uh, was disappointing to me. And then, good good news is he en- he ends up not com- going to college. And because within a week or so after that, we had a sp- scholarship to give to Evan King that we might not have. So you never you never know what's going to turn out to be good for you or bad for you. Um, and so the I, the reason I bring that up is because. We got a lot of congratulations for the job that we did last year as coaches and players and maybe more more deserved as players. But perhaps if we were too busy um, patting ourselves in the back this fall and, and thinking we were a lot better than we were, thinking it was going to just happen again, um, we learned pretty quickly that if we regress to old competitive habits or weaker competitive habits, then 
we're going to get pretty average results. And so maybe it was a good wake up call and eye opener for us. And maybe that propels us to have another great year. Who knows? We'll yeah. see. No, I love to hear it. And uh, we'll get into the marketing side. I wish these duels weren't hidden. I'd love to watch them this weekend. I want to see what the team looks like. Um, but, you know, talking about the team again, you played nine doubles pairings total last year. You played nine this fall as well. I don't have to tell you how important that doubles point can be. It's still a young team. You're bringing in new pieces. Hopefully everyone's a little bit healthier at this point as well. You expecting to tinker with the doubles lineup throughout the year? You think you have your three? Uh, I think we're close. I mean, we haven't, we have, uh, I think, I think we're close and I hope there's not a whole lot of tinkering. There's a few questions, but I think we're fairly clear on, you know, we're pretty close on what we want to start with. I mean, Cleve and Chichi have played a lot together over the years, but Chichi, but Cleve and played with Richie, who was new this fall and they did pretty well together and they really liked playing together. So I think we're going to at least give that a fair shot to see if that can work. CM and Elliot have had a lot of success. So if Elliot's helpful, healthy, that there's a good chance that that can, we'll probably start with that again, if he's, if everyone's healthy. And then we have, um, you know, we have a bunch of other guys, but, you know, Micah did well in doubles last year. Chi-Chi's, it's hard for me to picture Chichi not being in the lineup. It's hard for me to picture um, Micah not being in the lineup. And it's hard to picture someone like Pierre not being in the lineup too. You know? Um you know, and then Evan McDonald and Evan Aramilli have both improved a lot too. But I think we're fairly close to knowing what we want to start with here. And hopefully we don't have to tinker too much. And I don't, to me, I think it's mostly about, yeah, the personalities and the the chemistry is important. But I think, I, I think even more important than that is just the skills and the discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you've got bad pieces and you, keep putting them together in different combinations, you're still probably going to have bad teams. You know, I think you, yeah, I, I do think I'm not underestimating the value of having guys play together that really enjoy it and have some chemistry. But I also think it's largely about just simply getting better and more disciplined. Mm-hmm. No. And again, the pieces are there, but to your point on paper is going to decide nothing this season because it's hard to script three wins, you know, more than three singles wins for any team against any opponent. And that's why I ask about the doubles because I do think this year, perhaps more than anything, it's going to be that much more important. But, you know, again, when you look at your team and I know you have the hidden duels you're playing here this weekend, but, you know, this is a question I've asked other coaches. I'm curious for your opinion on it as well. Is the fall best set up as currently constructed to prepare teams for the spring dual match season? The most glaring thing, obviously, those four to six weeks where you really can't work with them before the start of the year. Um, but are, are there changes that need to be considered at this point? I mean, I'm happy to hear any proposals. I've heard some of them <laughs> just on your podcast. Um, uh, the nice thing, one nice thing about the fall is that there is some flexibility on what coaches want to do with their programs. And sometimes you might feel like your team needs more of X kind of tournament. And sometimes you might feel it's more important to do Y kind of tournament. Sometimes you want them all together, you know, so they can kind of be together and train in in dual match format. Sometimes you've got guys that are closer to turning pro after college. um, So you want them to, you know, really get as many opportunities as, as they need. Um, so I think you've got different options and there's some flexibility for coaches and programs to do it however they want. So I think that's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, th- I think, 
I'm not as down on the fall as other people might be because I do think we have some different options on how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it was interesting. I'll get to the juicy question right away. Coach Chapman yesterday for Kansas women's coach, for listeners who don't know, you can go listen to it on the Cracked Interviews podcast. He says he thinks it's, you know, he'll be more surprised if the NCAA individual tournament doesn't move than it does at this point. Where are right. you on NCAA individuals? Obviously, again, you were there last year deep into the week, and you know what that slog can be like. Is that is that something you're in favor of, moving the NCAA individual tournament? Um, it sounds good. Sure. It, it, logically, it makes sense when you say uh, the the fall is the individual part and the developmental part and the, the, the spring or the second semester should be more is all about the dual matches. So it makes sense. In some ways, it doesn't make sense to have the individual team, the tournament after the team tournament, anticlimactic. That stuff, logically, it makes sense. Um, but I actually feel pretty strongly that it shouldn't be moved because my theory on this, there's my, the reason I say it shouldn't be moved is because the proposals I'm hearing now, to me, you're not moving it. I think your idea is great. To play it at the U.S. Open, that sounds <laughs> awesome. That sounds awesome. If you could... You could, if you could find a way to make that work, I think that'd be terrific. I don't think you can, personally. I just don't see how that would work. Um, because at that time, the next year is already starting. Sure. You know what I mean? So I just don't see how that's possible. And I don't think you're really moving the NCAA tournament to the fall. I think you're eliminating the NCAA tournament or you're eliminating the ITA fall national. So either way, you're taking away a fall opportunity because I think if you try to move the NCAA tournament to the fall. Um, you're not going to have the ITA fall nationals. So that's one thing. So you're eliminating something. Um, second question, the big question I would have is the NCAA, is it going to be an NCAA tournament? Will the NCAA sponsor it? If the answer is no, um, I've gotten, I've heard nothing about them sponsoring an NCAA championship in the fall. If they are, that that's great. But um, if they're not, then it's going to be an ITA fall championship. Um, which we already have. So you're eliminating the other one. And then there's all sorts of other issues too about, you know, the difficulty of qualifying. You've got many top players who are worthy of being the NCAA tournament that start in January. And I don't think that's going to be a motivation for them to start in the fall. You have freshmen, the idea of having freshmen qualify is going to be borderline impossible um, unless you start using different criteria other than the individual rankings. I think the one idea I heard on your podcast that I liked is the rolling rankings. I think that would be a really good idea. Um, I just have a hard time picturing how it's going to happen. And I fear that we'd actually be giving, I think we just have to be careful and make sure we think it through really carefully, make sure we have all the questions answered about how it's going to work before we give something up. Because usually when you give something up, it doesn't come back. And um, yeah, it's long, um, but I still feel like, the, the people that I've heard complain about it the most are administrators and coaches sure. who don't want to be there. But I mean, that's not what it's about. It's about, it's for the, it's for the players primarily. And so I'm open to it. If you could explain to me a way it's going to work without us losing um, what we have. And that's my biggest fear. And I, I just don't really, that's, that's my view of it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, if you could explain to me how it's going to work without us losing opportunities and how it's going to be fair and um, and you're going to figure out a system where players are going to qualify, then I'm certainly open to it. But yeah. I don't really see it. 
you I mean you raised so many good points there and it, the truth is I don't feel too strongly one way or the other my thinking is if you're going to do it in the fall it better be worthwhile and obviously that's where the US Open stage would come in you're right logistically that's a nightmare Texas might be able to sponsor a senior to come back. Other schools very much less likely to be able to do that after they've graduated. Like if, you know, if Ito wanted to come back the September after he's graduated and say, I'm competing in this NCAA tournament, I'm sure Texas would have said, okay, in that case, sure. But there are schools less likely to be able to do so. And so I agree there are many logistical challenges that said, is there as much enthusiasm at the, particularly the end of the NCAA tournament as there could be if you moved it. Like, I do think from a fan perspective, it is it is a long two weeks, three-week yeah. NCAA tournament grind, but also from a player perspective, and yes, it's only the ones who really go the distance in the team and the individual that physically are drained, but also mentally, you can tell, like, again, being there last year, the energy for the round of 32 day, you know, round of 16 day, that was exceptional. By the finals, almost everyone but the players wants to go home. Well, and almost everyone is gone, and there's not many exactly. people watching. There's not many people watching, which is part of the my concern too. About you know, if you if you look at the if you go back to the team event and the semifinals and the finals, you know, a lot of the people that are up there watching are players who are in the individual tournament and their coaches and their families. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a little nervous about taking those people away from the final site. Sure. And and how that's going to diminish the atmosphere because those are the real tennis junkies too. Yeah. And I think that's going to we don't have enough people there right now that we can afford to be losing a lot. And I think then so so many so fewer um, people and players in college tennis are going to be able to experience the final sight. Um, but yeah, I get it. Um, I get it. There's it's different. The motivation I guess is different for different players. But I've been I've coached guys that have made it through all the way, you know, when I was at Illinois. And um, I think it's still, it's nice. Also, I think sometimes about some of the really strong players on teams that maybe aren't in the hunt to make the final side, or maybe even make the NCAA tournament at all. And through that dual match season, it's nice for them to still have something to shoot for, you know, earning all American status at the individual tournament or making the NCAA tournament in their senior year. Um, You know, and I think, a lot of times, if, if players really develop well, their best seasons are in their senior year. And I think if they're not having an NCAA tournament to play at the end of their senior year, um, you know, you're going to be – a lot of them would miss out on opportunities. But I'm not – I'm not like I said, I'm not totally against the concept. I just think it's better this way. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so many challenges that – I I think it's really easy because it sounds logical to say let's do it. But to me, um, there's so many um, questions that I would want to have answered before I'd support it. And and right now, I kind of like the way it is. Completely fair. And so, you know, again, with all that said, we can get into some of the bigger picture questions Mm -hmm. because I think this is a good time to segue into them. Talking about getting more people to attend the NTAA tournament. You look at the pro rankings, singles, doubles. College players are having success. And, you know, there was a point last year, I think there were 11 players with college ties inside the ATP Top 100. That's a big number. What Cam Nori does, obviously, particularly pronounced. He gets to number 12 in the world. That's huge for college tennis. It's no longer just Isner, just Anderson. There are tons of examples. Mackie McDonald, Marcos Giron, even the Yannick Hoffmans of the world who start out at five singles, work their way to the top, can be Top 100 players. It's a testament to the development that's offered in college tennis. 
You may have also heard me say this in other podcasts. I think the biggest difference between now and a decade ago and two decades ago, three decades ago, it's not necessarily the teams at the top. It's the teams ranked 30, 40, 50 that would kill their counterparts from college tennis's past. Is it a, you know, when we're trying to grow the game, is it a product issue? Is it a marketing issue? What should we be focused on as college tennis, you know, community? Yeah, I definitely, if I had to choose one of those, I would definitely say it's a marketing issue. Okay. Definitely. Because I think the product is good. And I also think, I think we got to be careful. I mean, um, I think you always got to look to improve and make things better. But I mean, our, the format that we have right now is still relatively new. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny. I get a, a little chuckle sometimes when I hear some people talking about, you know what we ought to do? We ought to play singles first, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, the, we changed it. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been there. We've done that. And, and then oh, and, you know, we should play singles first and every doubles match should count as a point. You know, that, that's exactly what we changed from. And there were a lot of positive changes. We've achieved the goal of shorting the matches by a lot. And these matches used to be marathons when you used to play singles first, two out of three sets, two out of three sets doubles after that. And the other thing that people that I haven't heard people mention is what used to happen when you played singles first is guys would, there's such a wide gap in the length of matches and singles so you know you'd have situations all the time that i remember where one match would finish in an hour one match would finish in three hours this guy's ready this guy's not you got people standing around you got to wait to start do we start the doubles early should we start this match early or if we wait if we wait and start them all at the same time then you've got some guys that are having played for two hours i just think um having the doubles first i think just makes a lot of sense um, and I think it's exciting. And um, yeah, I get the idea of having doubles at the end could be exciting too. But if you're going to keep the matches short to a set of no ad, you can't count them each as a point, in my opinion, because it just wouldn't do the, 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 the amount of time that you're spending playing a, a, a one set no ad doubles ma- match. It's just so small in comparison to a a three set match that I just think you're running the risk that the better team in that match doesn't win a lot of times. So I, I think we ought to stick with doubles first for sure. I think it's the matches are have shortened quite a bit. I think it's a great product right now. Yeah. You keep looking at it, but I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is um, the challenge is finding ways to better promote it. Well, to reconcile, and I want to talk about how we better promote it, but just the last point on the product th- side, and I've pushed this, I do think simultaneous start will be tried at some point. How do you reconcile the lull that comes after doubles? Because, and we were talking about this, you know, or we mentioned this earlier, the doubles point, uh, you guys, I don't remember if this was on or off the podcast, my freshman year, you guys played, you know, Ohio State. I remember that doubles point. Clearly the energy from that, there are times after that where, unless you're a hardcore fan, you lose some interest in those first sets. Yeah. And I, I like, I do think from a product perspective, those are the 40 minutes where if anything, if there's anything left to adjust, it's that little opening stage. Yeah. So how, do you have any ideas for that? Well, I would say for simultaneous, what you do, one doubles flight, four singles flights. That way it's yeah. still six people playing. Everything's worth one. You can make the doubles two out of three at that point. Now, do you want to typecast people as doubles players? Absolutely not. And I hate the idea of taking away any singles flights because yeah. I enjoy a six singles match as much as a one. But to me, that would be that's like the last – that's the, the final yeah. solution. 
Yeah, I'd be hardcore against that idea of simultaneous <laughs> payment. Uh, let's leave it at that. I mean, yeah, there is for for sure. There's a little lull after the after the double point in a lot of cases, but I don't think that's the end of the world, and I don't think that's why we're losing a ton, a ton of people at matches. Um, I just don't think it's a problem. I mean, you look at the beginning of a basketball game. How many times have you heard people say, "All you got to do is show up and watch the last two minutes," and yeah. you know, in basketball, you know, so it's. I think that's not necessarily completely unique to tennis and it's always going to be more exciting at the end when it's crunch time. Um, but I don't know. I don't think that's the problem. I mean, I don't think, I don't see how you simultaneously, I think there's just too much damage that can be done by doing a simultaneous. The matches are short enough as it is. These guys already have gotten so much taken away from them over the decades in terms of number of dates they can play, number of hours they can practice. To have now tell them that you can only play singles or doubles and the matches are going to be over in an hour and a half. I just think that's in the end of the day. Yes, we want to promote it and grow the game, but I think ultimately, um, I think we still have to keep a careful eye on what's best for the players too. Mm-hmm. Well, one more on that note, though, substitutions would be another thing. Maybe you can sneak into a simultaneous format, and you know, part A to that is if there's an injury. I don't think I think you should be able to substitute that player out. I don't think a match should ever end with an injury withdrawal. Of course, would people eventually game it? I'm sure you'd have to trust the discretion of the line judges there. But you know, I don't think a substitution compromises development. I think every player has a 15 minute lull, or the majority of players across the country, the best ones obviously, let so uh, less so, will lose focus for 15 minutes substitution you you can't afford to do that anymore because coach will yank you and like again you've got eight players this year I'm sure you'd like to play all of them at various points in a match I don't hate substitutions it's the we're the only sport without it I would be in favor what do you say yeah you know I'm just thinking as you're talking and and I wasn't really in favor of it and I haven't thought it through but one idea and I'd have to like self-critique this idea that I'm about to give you to see if it's actually halfway decent or not. Okay. But I wouldn't be in favor of just, you can do whatever you want substitutions. Like I could hold out Elliot Spaziri and put him in for anywhere I want. I wouldn't want to do that, but you kind of caught my attention a little bit when you mentioned the injuries, because that is a shame when someone goes down with an injury. And so what if you were to propose a lineup and it had to be in order of strength, just the way we put it now, you know, we're at least close enough to that you could be defensible as mm-hmm. order of strength. And we're playing, and I put our top six, and our number seven is listed, and it's in order of strength. So he is our seven, and someone gets hurt, whether he's at number one or number five or number six. Mm-hmm. My initial thought is, yeah, why not let him go in there and play? Even if he's playing, he, he might get beat down if he's at number one, but at least he's got a chance. That could be kind of exciting, but I don't think I would be in favor of it where you could, you know, I could pick somebody out of lineup, anyone I want. I think you'd have to list it in order of strength. That's my first response, but again, I haven't really thought it through. I like it. I would say soccer substitutions too. Once you're subbed out, you're out. And, you know, it's only the one. It can't be like Elliot finishes his match at one, can go now play three. Like that, no, that's anarchy. And, you know, I like So even if it's not in it, so this way, what I I proposed is, and again, I'm uh, I'm not sure this is actually a proposal, but... um, so even if it's not an injury, you know, mm-hmm. and a guy's simply not playing well, well, if Elliot's not playing well and I'm wanting to put my seven guy in, in front of, in, in for exactly. Elliot, that's why not, you know, who's that hurting and get, um, if our number six guy, then it becomes, you know, a little more 
gamey Possible when it get possibly sure. but yeah i mean it's got to be an order of strength so i like that I, I i'd say i'd say possibly if you could okay. keep it an order of strength i'd want to think about it a little bit but that might be an idea because it is a shame when someone goes down with an injury and in that you know you can't I, I explain to our trainers all the time where we can't sub out. So we better be sure before we put somebody in, you know, a hundred percent. And first of all, I think people who know you a possibly is a victory. So I'll take it coach. That is a big <laughs> victory here. Right, uh, okay. But no, I, uh, yes, it all requires so much thought. My favorite line, 49.9% of coaches agree. 50% right. never do. And so, right. yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that's again, that's why I like to pick your brain as well to think through these ramifications and what it would actually look like. But to your point and to the flip side, let's talk marketing. Obviously, Texas, little easy to market, little more easy to market than some of the other schools will say just by size, brand. Texas is Texas. Everyone knows Texas. That said, when you're looking at marketing, how what has your approach been to that side of the game moving forward? How do you build communities at the schools you're at to so that these players feel as though they have people invested in them? Yeah. Um, well, I I probably spent more time with it. I think when I was at Illinois, uh, Craig Tiley was probably the best of the best in that department, in my opinion. You know, he was ahead of his time, and so we did a lot, and I picked up from him on and how to promote and and involve as many people in the success of your program that you can so that you get a, a big web of support with a lot of people feeling like they're part of what you do. And um, so that was something I picked up from him. And I spent a lot of time trying to do that at Michigan. And I think to some success, I think we had some really good crowds there. And, um, you know, I definitely got pretty involved with the alumni and I got a pretty big email list and I was, I was, running around at night in the cold trying to drop flyers off at the clubs myself you had a relationship with our club tennis team like again uh, you can draw a direct line from you and coach steinberg's embracing of us to what i do now like i would have we would have the club team out with us to do a practice and i think we're starting we're talking about doing that at texas this year too and so i spent a lot of time with that and honestly like looking back on that time in some at some point and i spent a lot of time on some of these um, parts of growing the program, you know, whether it came to raising money and improving the facility and perhaps at times that worked to my detriment that maybe I should have been spending a little more time, you know, it's a balance, you know, with the team. So I'm still doing that stuff at Texas. We have a great staff of people. And my approach now is instead of to do it myself so much, it's like try to try to pass on some of the ideas to the support staff that we have and have them run run with it a little bit more so i can you know focus a little bit more on the tennis um but yeah we have a massive email list we had a great alumni we have a super tradition at texas just like michigan did with their tennis programs we had a great reunion recently um we get those people out to our matches we have a alumni facebook page that we use all the time we have um massive email lists we're gonna we're talking about getting the club team out we're talking about having a club night um, where the, all the different clubs in Texas and Austin can come out to the tail end of one of our practices and practice with the guys and do, you know, like a little hit and giggle and have some food for them, a little bit of a happy hour. And we want to do that. Um, just try to be creative and try to figure out different ideas that we can feed to our marketing staff and hopefully they run with it. But of course, having a good team helps. Sure. And having guys that are not only good, but really love what they do and are passionate about the sport and show it helps 
and um, you know, having a good facility that's comfortable for people to come out and watch and good weather and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes into it, but um, we've had some really nice crowds for some of our matches in the last few years. And I remember that stadium has been packed several times and we hope it gets back to that this year post COVID. Mm-hmm. No. And again, so many good points there, I think for coaches and fans and listeners to pick up on with all of that said, if you're giving any advice to all the coaches, and I know some of them are listening or to other coaches who are just curious, what are you guys doing at Texas? You talk about that community buy-in. I know it's hard to crystallize it to one thing, but what would be the advice you'd give to other coaches who are looking to build that same sort of tie-in into that community? I think finding ways to build relationships between the players on the team and the people in the community, the various groups. So not only just sending emails and passing around flyers, but actually finding a way to connect those groups um, who are likely passionate about Texas athletics already or passionate about tennis already if they're from the clubs. Um, But connect those people in those groups at least a few times to the actual people on our in your program um, because once they feel part of it then um, they can really be connected to the team and and uh, you'll start seeing repeat customers at your matches a lot more often I think mm-hmm. yeah no I, I agree with you there I I've said it on other pods as well and you've referred to it it's about the grassroots go to the local clubs when you know nothing is more thrilling to an 11 year old than hitting with a college tennis player and right. they'll, you know they'll drag their parents to the match and then you've just got it yourself a built-in you know uh, fan and obviously I think NIL rules are also another mechanism perhaps moving forward I know it's still very early I'm curious if you've considered that at all in your recruiting if that's something you're thinking about already and I do want to ask you more broadly about recruiting as well yeah i'm thinking about it um it is very early so we're you know we're exploring we're not supposed to have much of a role in it but we try to try to at least point out to our recruits that there are a lot of texas is going to have as good opportunities as anyone there's it's just such a fast-growing community with a lot of money moving in with big business oracle facebook you know indeed everything you know it's becoming the next tech hub so there's a lot going on here and there's a lot of people you know Texas fans are people who live in Texas are passionate about the state and people who, you know, go to Texas or, or have ties to Texas are super passionate. So um, I think that, you know, players and potential NIL opportunities are going to be as strong here as anywhere else and um, selling that. But obviously, we're not creating deals for people. We can't do that. No, of, of course. And obviously, more broadly, when you look at recruiting, you've killed it. There's no denying what you guys have been able to do at Texas, whether it be on the transfer portal, whether it be just bringing in the freshmen you've been able to bring in, uh, obviously Elliot's class, Micah's class, now here with uh, Pierre as well. I think it's, you know, some of the big schools, It's they have heard from you before, but I'm, I want to offer every coach this opportunity. Coach Burke, make, make the pitch. Why should I be a Longhorn moving forward? Why should I come to Texas? Well, I would say that – we're not the only good program in the country. That's for sure. There's a lot of people I have a lot of respect for and a lot of great universities and really successful college tennis programs. But I would argue that Texas is one of the few um, that can really say they check every box. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to say, yeah, we have a great, great tennis, great education, but you know, we find a lot of students in particular, a lot of student athletes in particular are looking to study business 
but we have a top five business program and it's been that way every year since I've been here and well before I've been here and it'll continue to be that way. So the, the education is great, especially in business, which most people seem to be interested in when they uh, want to come and pick a school. Uh, the weather is awesome and we play outside year round, but a lot of the programs that play outside year round don't have indoor courts. Well, we have a beautiful six court indoor facility, so we're never going to miss training or a match or competition because of weather. You know, and so we have great facilities, the resources, whether it's human resources with our, you know, the strength coach and the support, all the support staff are, you know, off the charts. And I'm sure a lot of other coaches feel great about their people that work with their program, but we definitely feel that way about ours. Um, obviously, we're the number one revenue producing school in the country. So student athletes here at Texas are not going to be lacking for any opportunity. We, we host a pro event on our facility. We're we're planning to host future, more futures. And even in the fall, when most kids want to play a lot of futures in college, there's several in the state of Texas that are within driving distance. Our team um, in the three years that I've been coaching here are, is the only team in the country that's been ranked in the top five in each of those three years. And we've been in the top three in each of those, fit in the final ranking in the top three in each of those years. And we might've been four in 2021 because they didn't run those rankings again but you know bottom line is we've been a top five program every year and i think we're the only school that can say that and we're trending in the right direction because we've got a very young team um so it's a strong team um we feel good about our human resources we feel great about our facility i don't know how you're going to find anything better um austin has been ranked the number one city in the country for the last three years in a row it's the fastest growing real estate market market in the country it's the businesses are just swarming here so you're going to have tremendous opportunities it's a hell of a place to come back and visit as an alum you know it's always nice to have a nice destination so i really feel like we check all the boxes but honestly the biggest the thing i could tell you um that's probably making my time in texas most enjoyable right now is that the players that we have on the team i know everyone loves their team and and um, but we've got a great group of guys that really get along well. They're super close. They love tennis. They're coachable. They're mature on most days. And, uh, and they're young, and they're going to be here for a while. You know, so we've got our whole team is coming back next year, except for Richie. The following year, we lose Nevin and Chi-Chi. Um, so we're good. We're young. Um, we've got a great business school. We're in a great city. We've got great resources. And um, I feel like we checked just about every box you could want to check. Yeah, no, it's an easy sell, as I mentioned. And so, uh, yeah, I am curious for you. Again, you bring in Rich, you bring in Pierre. You do have a young team right now. How are you balancing, you know, bringing in the four-year players, building the program around those sorts of guys where you're having success getting them versus knowing I can go find a Richard CMR on the transfer portal? How do I pass up on that opportunity? How do you balance those two things in building your roster? Uh, I, I prefer... I probably usually prefer to um, have players that are going to be with the program for the long term, you know, but I'm certainly open to transfers. Um, and, and I think we're going to be dealing with this for a couple more years, but with the amount of transfers for a couple more years, but I'm kind of looking ahead a couple of years. Um, and the one thing I would like to avoid doing is add another guy to a graduating class that we're going to have in two or three years when we have just about everyone leaving in three years, you know, but even in that case, I say that, but you don't really know how long 
everyone's going to be here because there's some guys that may take advantage of their extra year and some guys that are not going to take advantage of their extra year. So I'm going to just continue to recruit and recruit freshmen as best I can. And if we still have a spot open when the transfer portal starts uh, ticking um, and we see some good players in there and if it if we're if we think they'd be a good fit for our team and could help us in our lineup and are not going to cause an imbalance in our graduating class, then I've got no hesitation in in having another Richie Ciamara join us. No, it, you're right. It's fascinating. I had Coach Cohn of Oklahoma point out the transfer rate in tennis has always been higher than other sports. It's because we haven't had the one-year waiting period longer than others. They're right. all experiencing that now. It's like, <laughs> like you thought it was just us. Like, right. you know, that's what you want to yeah. say to all these other coaches. But it is, you're right. I feel like it will calm down as soon as we're back down to four classes at least a right. bit. And so definitely something to monitor. But, you know, again, looking at your team, the success you guys have had, obviously, just some final questions here uh, before we okay. wrap this show. Because uh, I know, again, and I always appreciate how generous you are with your time. But when you look for this team, you look at the scheduling you have. And you sort of alluded to this earlier. But, I mean, it's a loaded schedule. You've got Florida right off the bat. Arizona, you're headed there to play not just U of A, but also Arizona State as well. Kickoff weekend, uh, you know, Columbia's no slouch. They're very young. They're very talented. And, obviously, Oklahoma State, Oregon, veteran teams, you're playing Baylor non-conference, UCF. I mean, I can read them all. Georgia, A&M, Ohio State, USC, Pepperdine. It's as good as it gets, Coach. What leads to that scheduling? I've always tried to do that, and usually it works out pretty well. Occasionally it doesn't. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is that's what our guys want, and I think that's what most players want. They, they get excited for the, for to play the best and – Honestly, if I didn't do that, I think they'd be disappointed. And you really only improve and grow when you get exposed for your shortcomings and you don't get away with them. So um, it's just, it's good for, it's good for everything. It's good. It's good for our community and our fans. They're going to be more likely to come out to see the highest quality opponents. It's great for our guys because they get excited um, to play and, and it's good for their development because they get pushed. Um, so it's a little more nerve wracking for me, but you know, that's, I think in the end of the day, if it, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. I just like you, the guys are probably talking to you. You're like, yeah, but Ohio state and Florida are at home. You're like, they're like, we're always on the road. You're like, yeah, but we get those two at home. And no, right. it's again, for college tennis fans, we love to see it. That's at 500 rule. Are you fine if it goes away forever? Definitely. Yeah. It's just a competitive thing, right? Why it's, why not yeah. let the best teams go? Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't sure. how, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. It's stupid. Yeah, I like that. I All right, know. some other things here, again, before I let you go. Eight-hour rule, 25 competitive dates. that enough, or would you like to see it bumped? Uh, yeah, I would, I would like to see it bumped, but I'm not expecting to see it bumped, and I'm also okay if it's not bumped because I think if you've got – it's not the worst thing in the world for the guys to – to play without coaching for a little while and, and to do it on their own. You know, it's does it's not that many weeks out of the year that they're on their own. We're fortunate as compared to other sports that we're actually allowed to work with our guys in the summer. A lot of sports aren't able to do that. So I think we get a lot of time with them. It, it can be a little frustrating at times, but for us, it boils down to like a week or two of eight hours when they first come back in September or August. And then the longer chunk of time, you know, in November, that's the one that gets a little frustrating but um but i do think it's good for them to 
to do it on their own at times. So that's, it's not the worst thing in the world. The competitive dates. Yeah. Same thing. I'd like to see a little more, um, but a lot of guys are going out and playing some stuff on their own right now. The, the, mm-hmm. the introduction of these UTR pro events has been awesome. Um, you know, that's a, that's a great thing for their guys. And, and so now even the guys that may not quite get into futures or it might mean not be a good economical decision for them to go play, try to play qualifying futures. They can go play these UTR pro events and if they're good enough and that's awesome too. So if I think if you look at the whole calendar year, if you've got guys that like to play and want to play, they're playing enough. Um, if you got guys that aren't going to do stuff on their own, then it's probably not enough, but yeah, I'd like to see more, but I think it's okay. Yeah, I just I hate that a player you'd ever have to tell them I can't coach you right yeah. now. Like that's just yeah. immensely yeah. frustrating. But all right, with that said, NCAA champion, wild card regardless of nationality, yes or no? I'd say yes. Yeah, it's is Paul Jubb any worse a representative than Sam Riffis? No, and so I would. I agree. It's good for it's good for college tennis. It's mm-hmm. good for the level. I just think it's yeah, sure. I, I'd say yes. Yeah, I agree with you there. Well, all right, last one for you. A little sappy, but still. Teams, uh, players, everyone watches your team compete this year. What do you want the takeaway to be? Yeah, I'd like them to I, – I, this is probably going to be – I would think that if you ask each coach this question, they're going to give you a similar answer. But I'd like them to see players on the court that really love their school and love representing the school, mm-hmm. that love tennis and love to compete, um, and show class when they do it. Mm-hmm. No, I love to hear it. Well, again, if we learned anything from last season, that was the story for Texas tennis. And, you know, again, even if it's not 11 for three matches, certainly with the schedule, with the team you have, there's going to be some excitement. So, Coach Burke, thank you, as always, for taking the time to chat. Wishing you all safety, luck, success, of course, throughout the 2022 season. Yeah, thanks for having me, and, and thanks so much for everything you did for us. Yeah, of course. Is it Hook'em? Hook'em. There it is. Take care, Coach. <laughs> all right, see you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Coach.